Wednesday, December 27th, well on the way to our last week of the year. But today we're bringing you a segment, Jamie Butters, Steve Greenfield, Daniel Govert. We hope you're ready for this one. Everywhere I go, the people really want to know who I is and who I be. They stop Segments on point. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure none of these people were together until we had them on this segment last week's year in Extravaganza. That would be, you know, that would be an interesting study. Like how many net new panels can we create that have never sat on panels together? Probably a lot. I mean, you started way back in the day, like having competing. Jim Fitzpatrick uh, and Jason Stein. That's the one that definitely got the most buzz. And they're like, wait, who, what? But we were all locked down. Everybody had to get along. I mean, they're yeah, both professionals exactly. and we did have a no great doubt. conversation. But yeah, yeah, no, that's, I mean, isn't that the magic, right? Oh, it is the magic. Putting together new ingredients and be like, oh, these two things. That's why a charcuterie board is so great. Yep. You know, I used to, like, we both have historically done podcasts and done events where, like, it's a single person talking and where it's like a single interview, mm-hmm. which are great, right? Because you get that one person's perspective. But it's always more fun, whether it's auto collabs or whether it's in a Sodukon stage or the year in extravaganza, when you have these different voices kind of like speaking in on a similar topic, because a lot of times you get alignment, but sometimes you get a different angle, right? Like All the you time. Get a different perspective way to see it. And I think that broadens the horizon for us instead of just like expecting that the person on the other side of the audio is just the right one. Right? Well, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've seen where, you watch, literally watch or hear one guest say, like, Move I, the I'm going to call you about that because yep. we're trying to do the same thing. I'm, and I, then I, we know in the back channel that actually happened and actually got deployed. Which yeah, is at a like, SoduCon first year, you had Brian Benstock changing his mind. I had I had uh, Rick Reichert thinking about what Dan Bannister was doing this year on 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 no on doubt the stage. And so, well, it's hard to do that when your service retention rates like ninety percent. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone is like, "Yeah, what are you? Doing? What are you doing over <laughs> yeah. there?" Comment on $100 bills? I don't know. But uh, today, so we're going to share this with you from our year-end extravaganza. If you haven't seen the whole thing, you can go to our YouTube channel and see it, A-S-O-T-U.B-E, Asotube, for those of you keeping track. And uh, here it is. Here's uh, Jamie, Steve, and Daniel. Oh, this is so much fun. Daniel, Jamie, Steve, thank you for uh, giving us some time this week before Christmas. Glad to be here. Glad to be here, guys. I knew. I was hoping I could get everybody to say something (laughs) right at the same time. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this year, obviously, we've had so many things go on, but it is hard to avoid all of the drama and all of the conversation and uncertainty around the UAW strike. Jamie, I remember a conversation is, I think, one of the first conversations we ever had was at uh, David Kane's event much earlier in the year. And uh, one of the questions that came from the audience after your, after your talk was, what should we be thinking about that we're not thinking about right now? And you uh, aptly said, I don't hear anybody talking about a strike, but it's likely there's going to be some fanfare uh, around that. So um, you were watching this way far in advance and you've kind of like navigated us all through it. Everybody was you know, tied to automotive news every morning. What's the update? Um, on this side of it, how did it play out based on how you thought it was going to play out? Well, certainly Sean Fain has was been a, a very unpredictable character, right? And it was sort of fundamental to his strategy was to be unpredictable to the automakers. So I can't claim that I, I saw this all playing out exactly as it did. Um, you know, certainly the reason I felt so confident that there would be a strike isn't because uh, 
because I have some, you know, divine power other than I have this great army of intelligence gatherers that work for me and share uh, their insights. So I was definitely leaning on Michael Martinez, uh, his reporting and his insight, you know, and, and it kind of did seem obvious in, and I think it did play out as we expected in that, you know, this union was really reeling and trying to get back on its feet. They'd had a, a really massive scandal, Sean Fain won a very narrow and uh, thinly attended election. Uh, he had no base. He had no machine. He had no mandate. And so he did all these sort of stunts and this public media, public relations campaign through you know Facebook Live and whatnot to build his own credibility, to try to rebuild some of the culture within the UAW and rally people around, a, you know, the common effort. And then he did it the way he did it. And, you know, it was costly to the industry, but arguably not as costly as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the workers got really big raises. Yeah. Now, Daniel, you obviously, uh, as, as on the dealer side, you know, working with manufacturers that were directly, were not directly impacted. You know, there, there was a variance in, in dealers that were directly impacted because their manufacturers were a part of the negotiations and those that were not. And you've gotten the chance through uh, the Wheelhouse podcast to kind of talk to a lot of people through that. What's been the sentiment of how it's actually impacted dealers on the ground and, and uh, what are dealers experiencing as a result of the, the UAW strikes? Yeah, good question. I think the best thing was when actually I had uh, Patrick Gabbard on the show and, I, you know, and he runs a, a massive Toyota store and I asked him the same question, like, this doesn't look like it's going to directly affect you. And he said, it's still an opportunity for me. I'll tell you exactly what I would say at our store, even if I was at a store that is directly affected. When I'm talking to the client, right, when I'm actually at the point of, at the, at the point of actual contact with the client, I'll tell them, this may affect us in some way or another, but I promise my commitment to you is it will never affect you. And he, he probably said it better than, than that. And that was a good learning opportunity for a lot of people to adapt what they were thinking their client contact would be. And for a lot of us, too, it was a good opportunity to understand what the union was going through was essentially because they hadn't had any updates, right, in a decade or so. Like there wasn't, you know, the way that they were compensating, the way that they were looking at their compensation hadn't changed. And so then they had to do a whole lot all at once, very, you know, somewhat violently rocking the boat. And so had we in, in a shorter period of time, in less than 10 years, have we had the opportunity to look at ourselves and change how we're compensating or how we're taking care of our people so that it's not necessarily a strike, but very much so in the sense where we could have that area of difficulty internally as well in our industry. What do we do? We take this opportunity and look and see what things can we change? What things are we passing you on looking at? So we don't have to try and change so much all at once. Overall, from the rest of the dealer side, I, I really didn't run into really any, uh, any, any strong feelings of being disadvantaged by, uh, by the strike at all. Wow, that's impressive. Now, so that's kind of like boots on the ground front line. Steve, you get to play in a space that is always kind of looking over the horizon and tying it back to what the needs are. Did you see any converse, hear any conversation or see any motion at all in um, like the tech space in the conversations that you have about what's over the horizon that considered the strike as uh, anything more than a speed bump? Well, I think it, I mean, t- time will tell. I, I think, you know, th- this is going to be the classic definition of a Pyrrhic victory, meaning that, you know, you, you win the battle, but you lose the war. And I don't know what Jamie's thought on this, is, but as I thought it, thought it out, and, and there may be an ecosystem of startups that benefit from all this collateral damage that's caused, but, you know, the, the, the UAW seems to be continuing to want to now penetrate some of the import manufacturers. 
And I think that um, you know, the dynamics, I would say, are, are three that, that I worry about. One being the legacy automakers that are trying to figure out the timing to make this transition to EVs are, are bleeding cash in their EV operations. And I think indefinitely will continue to do so. Um, number two is that's going to be compounded by the fact that um, um, Elon Musk and Tesla are more profitable from a gross margin than any of the other automakers. And as a result of that, except maybe like Ferrari and Porsche, and as a result of that, he's going to continue to squeeze their EV operations and continue to ensure that they bleed by dropping prices and continue to find you know efficiencies in production. And then the, the last thing that will compound things even more and make it more painful is that I, I think it's inevitable that the Chinese are going to bring product into the U.S. market. Um, you've, you've seen even this week some talk about sort of backdooring through the Mexican market. And I think, you know, the squeeze is on uh, for the legacy automakers and their EV operations specifically. And having inflated, you know, uh, labor costs isn't going to help that at all. So I think, you know, five, 10 years from now, we'll look back at this UAW, you know, um, a big victory as being maybe the first piece of the puzzle that's going to bode very, very poorly, I think, for the economics and the industry ab- above the dealer level. I don't know. Um, to Daniel's point that it's ever going to kind of get down to the dealer level. But I think for the legacy OEMs, I'm looking at this and scratching my head and saying, you know, what's our profitability going to look like for the next few years? Because all of these headwinds are mounting. Right. Yeah. Jamie, actually, just this week, um, uh, you know, there was an article about the fact that the UAW is continuing to pursue relationships with the manufacturers that do not currently have unions in them. And uh, particularly to to Steve's point, like this is not going to be a dead conversation. We're going to be continuing to talk about this as an industry and the impact that it might have on the dealer or the consumer or the legacy OEM's ability to compete in a new market. How do you see that playing out as we head into 2024? If you had your crystal ball, like we all we all oh, thought you had go. back <laughs> early 2023, how do you see some of these conversations playing out? I'm still stuck on the idea of pursuing relations uh, with these other automakers because the, you know, ask Ford how they feel about their relations with the UAW. I'm right. (laughs) They used to Ford, you know, Bill Ford, especially felt a real, you know, bond with UAW uh, felt that they were, they were together to take on the Teslas and the Toyotas. And Sean Fain is like, we're not your partner, man. You're you're the enemy. We're against you. You know, Toyota and Tesla are going to be our next enemies, but their workers are, you know, our brothers and sisters of the, uh, of the factory. So yeah, they, uh, Sean Fain just went down to Chattanooga or I think he was in Chattanooga. He was was uh, dealing with, uh, you know, to to tell Volkswagen, you know, uh, stand down and let us uh, organize Mm -hmm. these workers and like, Hey, we're not doing anything wrong. So it's a contentious relationship. Chattanooga has a chance. You know, that one was really close, even mm-hmm. when the UAW was being, you know, rocked by scandal headlines on the regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they seem to have a chance there. I don't know. Toyota and Honda um, have had so many decades of relationships with their employees directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the raises that are being given out by the non-union automakers. They right. want to keep the union out and make what are it you fighting for. Right. Well, yeah. Why do you want to pay dues to somebody in Detroit who will tell you when you can and can't work? We'll just pay you what's fair, uh, get you close enough to that, and and let's leave the union out of it. You know, I I worry as well, like you said, Steve, about the the cost of labor going up so much. You know, but one thing I, back when the Harbor Report was still published, and I, I'm dating myself because I don't think they've been 
making this public for a decade and a half, probably. But we were seeing the average amount of uh, labor hours per vehicle come down to about 30. So even at $100 an hour, you're talking about $3,000 of labor in a vehicle that now costs $50,000 on average. Um, you know, it's not inconsequential and whether it's 3000 or it's 2500 makes a big difference for automaker profitability. Uh, but it's, it's not as devastating as the cost of right. a battery. It's not outside historical vehicle. norms. <laughs> right. Yeah. Daniel, you are a, an extreme advocate for um, employee health, uh, employee advocacy within any organization, specifically the dealers that you've been a part of. Um, how do you? Uh, how would you encourage dealers and even the OEMs that you may be partnered with to to look at this situation and approach employees in maybe a new light, understanding what the union has pushed these uh, these OEMs to? Yeah, because it's the part that I still don't understand. It's the reason that the, this particular strike was so contentious and so costly was because nothing had been done for such a period of time. That's by design. You signed a contract and then you you stuck with it. Nothing changed. You didn't take any additional input. You saw things happening outside your proverbial windows. You could point to a balance sheet and say that there were, you know, look at all these profits that were made. The thing is, nobody was telling you you couldn't have been a part of that except for you. You were in a contract. You decided that there weren't going to be things that changed. And so if nothing, I mean, I really do hope it is the little drum that I'm beating on that we do look at this and say that this is, we kind of have to inverse this pyramid of, you know, where the ideas come from. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it doesn't narrow at the top. It needs to actually have a very broad base to it. And then that's in the, in the retail world, that's the things that we have to get used to. Uh, seeing that there are, if we're not making changes, if we are saying that, you know, it's, at the same time, we say that we want to stick to we know it's true and we know it's good. At the same time, we also say like, well, we don't want to go back to what was. And this is, you know, the the what was is in great quotation marks and everybody could paint a different picture of what that was. Um, but the number one thing is, is that we need to start giving the people who are doing the work the platform to how to put together an idea. You have a suggestion. You have something that you like and you want more of. You have something that you don't like and you want less of. You see something that could help us be more efficient very easy to put in. It takes not much more than effort, but there needs to be a platform for the people that are doing the work to put together their thoughtful expertise and raise that then up into the levels that use that as a guiding light, as the metric to how they stay truly at the tip of the spear and at the forefront of the changes that are going to be continuing to come. And so that we don't have to continue to have such revolutions of how we take care of our people. And, and to give a great example, when these other manufacturers do those things, it's like, how could anybody that works for a union manufacturer not think that that's a, a better way of going about it? Like, it's, it was fun, first of all, to be on the other side of the mix because Daniel Govair hosts uh, the Asodu Wheelhouse right. show. And he does such a great job. And he's in full control of that show, right? He has commands. Pres and so in this, I was like, oh, I get to ask the question now, Daniel. <laughs> Uh, it was an amazing, great Who's insights from all three. Right. <laughs> I know it. It's I great. know it. No, and and not just that, but the the astuteness of Jamie Butters to just be real about the what he was tracking, who was tracking it. You know, him understanding his team was all over the stories as they were developing, and then to see each of these have a different perspective on how it's impacted the industry because it is it's impacting the industry in a different way for everybody. Some. Not at all. Some massive impacts. There were people right. that were really struggling with parts for some time, and we're seeing that rebound. Um, but it's going to have continued impacts. I was 
the the one I wasn't thinking about is where Steve Greenfield was talking about just the the residual impact of the three, five, seven year timeline right. as changes in technology, changes in these vehicles, all of that, and these manufacturers' ability to keep up. That'd be interesting. So true. And and is it just me or does Jamie Butters just have an amazing voice? We don't get, ever get to hear it through the microphone. So smooth. It's Such so a good. Smooth voice. He's gonna he's gonna be a professional like book reader. In his routine, I'm just gonna sit and just read books, and I'm gonna listen to them all. Oh man, well, here we are. We hope you're having a great Wednesday. We hope you sent you on your way with something to think about, something to implement. But right now, we all know what everyone in the industry is doing closing the year out strong. We will see you tomorrow morning. <laughs>